Welcome to another episode of A Point with Sean E.B. I've got a really interesting guest today, a good friend of mine, James Cooper, who's your classic Londoner. And we're in Sydney, we're in Mossman in a little bar, there's a bit of music going on in the background, I hope it's not affecting things too much. But we're here today to listen to James's story, and it's probably going to be a good one, because he's done a lot of shit in his we life. Have. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to A Point with Sean E.B., James Cooper. Hi, Sean. How are you? Good to see you again. Let's clink oh, our pint glasses. We, yeah. we do have a pint. Yeah, there you go. You've so had we're, it all now. We're doing good. That's it. End of interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's only our eighth. No, it's yeah, no, no. Okay, so he's, Sean's giving me a little bit of a rundown of what he wants to hear and what he's going to hear. It's probably two different things. Um, yes, um, I am from London, northwest London, Kilburn, the big uh, Irish sector. But... In Kilburn, back in the day, there were all these pubs like the Mean Fiddler and all those, right? The, the Mean Fiddler's in Harlston. Okay. The Gouty Moor, the big Irish ones in Cricklewood, you know, and then obviously all the pubs going along the Kilburn High Road, which one is one of the biggest high roads in Europe, or was. Is that right? Well, I don't know if it is anymore. It was full of pubs and full of paddies, yeah. And famous for the signs that said, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Some of, the, some of the pubs around London at the time, not in Kilburn, probably. I don't, I don't, I don't think so much in, in Kilburn, you know, because it was, uh, well, you know, you, you've got to understand that growing up, both my parents are English, you know, and there was, a, you know, a lot of English families there, and a lot of Irish families, mm. which their kids were born in London or born in England, and we all grew up together, side by side. Yeah. Uh, made me, you know, what I am and what I know and what I respect. Of a tremendous community the street was full of kids it's the best thing remembering opening that front door and they say you're either going to have a game of cricket or a game of football and you're going to smash the next door neighbour's window you're going to do something <laughs> that day and you're all going to get in trouble and the ice cream man would turn up and that would be the end of it be in done. and out of each other's houses as oh, they say it was as I was saying to someone a couple of weeks ago you know used to play hide and seek and you'd be in your mate's mum's wardrobes up in fact five doors down yeah. hiding and the door was always open. Yeah. And, you know, people said, you know, after the World War, you could leave your doors open and all that. Even up until the 70s. Yeah. You know, our, our front door, we used to come down in the morning and our front door would be open. Nothing would be missing. Because we never had anything to take. Well, that there is that. You have a lovely little daughter, Gracie, who's what age? She's 10. 10, yeah. I, one of the observations another guest I had on was saying that the kids these days just are so protected and mollycoddled. They don't get yeah. they don't get to go and experience the neighbourhood. There, I think the word he used was their habitat has shrunk to like the back garden or you know. Well, again, there's reasons for that. But back then we didn't have the iPad, only phones and whatever that the kids have got. Barely a TV. And uh, I find you know the things that the, the things the kids are doing nowadays. You know, even if you go into a pub and you see a group of people there, they're all sitting there. They're not talking to now, but they're on their phones, yeah, which yeah. is you know. I just think, what's the point? Yeah. And think our kids have grown up, and probably their kids have grown up in a whole different way, but I was just thankful for what we you know, We actually sat down and spoke to each other and talked to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. You're a big football fan, and how did you end up supporting Queen's Park Rangers? Local. It was always a local team. It was the closest yeah. team to me. Um, from my dad down to, you know, all my brothers and me. And, yeah. Know, and it's, it stayed there. You know, our glory days were the mid seventies. I know. Well. That's when I was growing up. Keep your like second or third in the league, and they had Tony Curry and all these great players well, playing for them. It was back in the day when Don Givens from Ireland yeah, was playing, and yeah. David Thomas and Stan Bowles, of course. Stan Bowles, yeah. Don Don Masson. So did you go nearly every all week? The time. Right, all the time. It was it was a full on fight with um, 
but it wasn't a fight. It was a more like a, a begging session for me, from for me to mum, please. And she'd give me just enough money to catch the bus, then the train, then the entrance in there, which was fifty pence back in them days. Oh I can't God. remember. Or twenty. I can't remember. Twenty-five. It was silly money. And there was always enough for a hamburger. Yeah. And then obviously the train and the bus back home. Right. So the game used to finish at quarter to five, and I reckon I was on by half past five, quarter to six. Really? Well, yeah. What did your folks do? Uh, mum was a house, housewife, and my dad worked for the evening news right. newspaper. Right. And he worked on um, the train stations, making sure the papers got distributed all over the home counties, basically out to right. Essex and everything. He uh, invested in a few other things, and he went all right. You know, he's he's good. Have you brothers and sisters? I have. Yeah, so I have two older brothers and a younger brother and a younger sister. I'm right in the middle. And are they back in? in all of them are. Right. I, I, I'm in contact with them. You know, talk about nonsense, especially when QPR lose. That's just. Well, so you're talking to them a lot then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> good one, Sean. I'll give you that. <laughs> What did you do? What was your schooling days like, or what did oh, you end great. up? Yeah, great. Obviously, I played football and I played cricket, and I actually played football for Brent. Okay, it's one of the biggest boroughs, and not to say that I was any good. I think I was more enthusiastic. Good. There is that time when you're a kid. I had the same when you, you presumably you wanted to be a footballer. We all did oh, back yeah. then, and, it, and if you find out really young, you find out when you're about eight in your own head. You know, I'm not going to be good enough. Oh, no. Yeah, and it's kind of sad, isn't it? Oh, Your dreams are gone when you're eight years of age. Yeah, but when it got to eight and then it got to ten, I still thought, God, there's got it. Now, basically, an armchair. You know, I've coached in Australia, you know, soccer and ALTs, which I really, really enjoyed. And it just opens up millions of avenues and you meet lots and lots of people from different walks of life, from all over the world, not yeah. just Australians or the yeah, Brits. Yeah. Or the, you know, you're talking about Argentinians. That's a global sport, yeah. And, you know, come to living in. You know, more and more people are coming in to Australia from all over the world than when I first got here over 20-odd years ago, you know. More like the South Americans are getting here, lots and lots of Brazilians here. Some of them are settling, and yeah. some of them are going home. And you say to them, would you like to live here? And most of them say, yeah. But, you know, obviously, a lot of them want to go back to Brazil. And what did you do when you finished school? Did you do a trade? or? Um, no, not immediately. I, as I said, I went to do the thing with my dad. And then about, you know... So what were you doing? Selling newspapers, okay. magazines. And then I sort of like thought to myself, I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. He said, oh, I've got to meet a fellow up the pub, an Irish fellow, he's in the building game, do you want to go and do that? I said, I'll do anything. And lo and behold, I had to meet him outside the, if I can only remember the pub, at that time in the morning, jumped in the back of the van, and away I went. And to, to be honest with you, John, I never looked back. Right. It was great. It was so was he basically making you like a tradie? He, I, first of all, I went off as a labourer, and then, you know, I sort of like went, well, I don't want to really do this anymore, and then I see a guy doing some work, you know, a chippy doing some work, and said, I'd like to do that. And he said, okay then, you've got to take yourself off to college, and you've got to go to school at twice a night, and you've got to, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Right. And I did. You are a qualified carpenter now, right, yeah. but you also do, you can also build, Yeah. you can build a house, that, right? And then did you, what, what made you decide that you wanted to get out of England? I remember sitting in school, maybe four or five, and they used to have a map of the world on the wall, and you just look around it, and then you, you did see Australia, and I said to myself, even at that age, I said, I'm going to go to that place there. <laughs> I 
I could have gone back. I remember when I was a child, there was, you know, show and tell day. You know, one of the little kids was talking about his brother out in Australia, and he said, um, oh yeah, every, fr- every Friday they, they all leave work at lunchtime and go sailing on the harbour. And he had pictures, and we were all, like, in, you know, depressed Dublin of the 70s, going, yeah, sure, that, as if that happens. And then I came here in 96, and it does happen. Well, it did, you know. I, I, I came to Australia in 1992 to have a look with my first wife. Right. And she actually said, you know, if, if you don't like Australia, you know, well, stay in... Because I had a three-bedroom house in, just outside Watford. Right. You know, I'm quite happy to stay in Watford. So I said, OK. I said, but if I come to Australia, I said, I don't want to just go to one place. I want to have a look around. Yeah. So we flew into Brisbane and we looked around Brisbane and um, Sunshine Coast and yeah. things like that. We were in Brisbane, we flew down to Melbourne where we met a few friends that we met in London. And I didn't really like Melbourne because Melbourne actually reminded me of London. You can't, I can't remember standing on the corner. You couldn't see the sky through the tram lines. and Yeah, it's like Manchester or something, yeah. Yeah. And it, I was looking around, obviously, first thing you do is when you go to any other city, you look to see how many cranes are going up. Right. Lots of cranes going up, lots of work. Yeah. Brisbane didn't have any. So what I've done is I said, OK, we're going up to Sydney. I think we had about four days in Sydney. I can't remember right now. I said, where are we stand in Sydney in King's Cross? Oh dear. Right in the okay. middle of King's Cross. Sanitised to shit now, right? You know, wouldn't recognise it. Well, you probably wouldn't. You're never going to clean it up. Yeah. Never. You're never going to. So we stayed there and uh, I said, she's my first wife, I said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just go to, I want to see Bondi Beach, obviously, dreaming about it. And so we went there and to be honest with you, I weren't really impressed with it. Yeah. You know, I really want the the old area Bondi. Yeah, well, it was bit, pretty bad back then. Bit run down and yeah. everything. So I was quite disillusioned by that. And I said, "Where else is there?" And she said, "Well, it's surely Mac- all better than Watford." Uh, yes, it was better, than Watford. <laughs> but not what I envisaged. No, I, mean, I know. You know, yeah. you know. But I said, and then we came to Manly. I said, "How do we get to Manly?" And she said, "Oh, we have to catch the train to Circular Quay and then catch a ferry and then we get ferry." And by then, I've, I've absolutely had enough. I've been on every form of transport, even a camel. So I said, all right. So we went there, and this, and this is how it went. Got off at the wharf. We walked through the Corso, and we walked right up to the edge. And before you walk down the stairs onto the beach, and I looked left, and I looked that way, and I looked right, which I can see the surf club. Looked, looked left again, looked right, turned around to my wife, and I said, I'll come and live here. Right. We went back, and I think about 18 months later... You moved over. We was over. So that was 93 or something? That was 93. I actually landed in Sydney on Christmas Day. Did you really? Yeah. Did you have a family? Uh, No, not then. Right. It was only after a year and a half that we decided that we'd have one. Right. Which is my son, which he now lives in. Maruchidor. Maruchidor, there you go. (laughs) Oh, he's in Maruchidor. What's his name? Billy. Hey, Billy, your dad's on a point with Shoney B here. Okay, so you, I, I know your current wife, so you, your, your marriage obviously didn't work, but was was it a move to try and make it work? Was that part no, of so it? Yeah, there was. No two ways about On my behalf, I wanted it to work, you know, because, you know, if it went, if it went pear-shaped, I was on my own. And by then, my son was a year old, and I felt more sorry for him than what I did for myself. But it was oh, amicable, I'd say. It was amicable, and then you know I got myself a one-bedroom flat in uh, Kelco, right, right on the ocean. I thought this can't be too bad, you know. I had the 
had what I needed. I think I was there for you know a year on my own, and then. And I mean, it was boom building time. There, there right? it's been boom building time. People got this um, thing about um, building. No matter what part of the world you got, it's it's either a famine or a feast. Yeah. People got uh, disillusioned with like, like you know they go to a builder's house. Look at him; he must be making a million. Now he's probably sold his soul to the devil to get that. Yeah. And he's probably called in every favour from every trade that's ever worked for him: the electrician, the plumber. Knowing full well, and if the plumber and the electrician were by any means, they wouldn't charge him the full rate. They'd, you know, and that's why people think we got or builders have got lots of money. They ain't. They're on a more of them go broke. A lot of the old builders now are just giving it up they just can't be asked. and the young builders are coming in now have only been in the thing for seven or eight years they've gone to trade school they've done their four years as a carpenter yeah. or a bricklayer and then they got there had another couple more years and then they got the building license and then you're losing men who have been in the thing for 50 odd years my just, sister's an architect in Ireland and when the whole collapse happened you know she got laid off the whole business like 400 people down to bust building of course there's a second canary in the mine. Mm. What's what's your view, just from that side of the capitalist fence? Where I, I used to say to my sister, "How come you couldn't see it? Like, because you're the well, guys who see it first. And you well, don't. You don't see the, the the problem with that, Sean. Is is when it's the famine, you're just taking anything and everything. Yeah. You know, you're just you know, it, it, I call it your bread and butter money. Yeah. You're making a very small profit because you've got to make all your overhead and profit is very very small because obviously your overhead to your phone and your car and whatever you're just trying to keep them afloat and then you're working even if you don't make a profit you're just working for wages so working for wages is okay because it's keeping food on the table now when it becomes a feast yeah. your overhead and profit go up so what happens now is that your pricing goes up as well okay because right. you can so yeah. his pricing go. The electrician's price is uh, an example is to put the power point on the wall would be hundred dollars. Now all of a sudden it's hundred and fifty dollars. So you're saying why? Because he's got to, they they've got to do it. So what happens yeah. is when it goes boom again, you go right back down to there and then you're on the thing. There's no even kill in building. Right, there right. is no even kill. It's not like, you know, some of the safe jobs are probably the policemen and the firemen and the ambulance drivers because we need them and the teachers, yeah. you know, unless they strike or whatever. I know guys who've got their license and don't even use them. They'd rather work for someone else uh. and let them have all the headache of it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it can be. The, the thing is, another thing you, you don't know or don't realise, as some of the people don't realise, at the end of the job, the builder is the last one to be paid. He lives on a minor amount of money going through that project for, let's say, four months. He's paid. He's got to pay the electrician. He's got to pay. The, he's got. To, you just think of every trade that you can think: the plumber, the roofer, the in that. His credit card is maxed out. Mm. Okay. Mm. Because if you belong to, um, if you happen to have an account with a big wholesaler or timber merchant, the bill will come in, and then you'll pay it with your credit card. That gives you eight weeks mm. to mm. try and pay that back. At the end of the job, if the owner doesn't want to pay you, they won't pay you. If they want a new car or go on holiday, you ain't getting your money. And it's very, very sad, and that's what a lot of builders are just thinking, I can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just wrong. And then you can go to court and fight them, and they'll just fight you for it because they know you're desperate for your money. Instead of them owing you $50,000, you're going to get twenty-five or twenty out of it. So you're 25000 down. Some smart builders 
put that 25,000 down knowing that you know I've covered it in my arse yeah. what happened then you were so you were in Curl Curl and then where did you move to from there well I met Justine and then after well, seven or eight months we moved in together right. and she lived in Justine Bedford. is a Kiwi girl final final Fine Kiwi yeah Irish stock yeah then you guys got married yes uh, so all this time you were working in building basically yeah. Um, and then are we working now up to when it came time to move to America? Is that the next big so crossroads? The, the next one is... Yeah, uh, Gracie. Yeah, well, yeah, my daughter, we had our daughter. And obviously there, there came a time when all of a sudden Justin got offered this job to move to Los Angeles and um, go and live there for... A, it was for two years. It was right. a two-year stint. By then, with me in, in building here, it was just... It was the famine. Yeah. So going to America would have been another family. It didn't matter, you know, and probably... You know, but it was in the middle of the Great Collapse, right? So there was, was no houses being built. No one could get any money to it build. It was in the middle of the Great Collapse, but it was just, you know, after. at the end of the Great Collapse and just they didn't know whether, we'd, you know, pick, we were going to have another year of it or anything. So we, you know, sat down one night and said, what do you think? I said, um, well, let's put it this way, Justine. In five years' time, we could have said to each other, you know, we could have lived in Los Angeles, and then we decided, okay, we'll give it a go. While Gracie, our daughter, was still young, you know, it yeah. wouldn't affect her too much. You know, new school for her. Yeah. Were you always that guy who was prepared to live the life and take the risk, or was it? Was it? Hey, it was uh, probably. You know, we both. You know, we have to think about each other when you know, yeah. decisions have to be made. You know, especially with Grace, how she can cope and everything. Probably financially. It didn't do us that good. Experience-wise, experience-wise, we made yeah. we made some fantastic friends for life. Met you. <laughs> well, I knew Justine briefly before you left, but yeah, I hadn't yeah. met you until I got over yeah. there. Yeah, and there was things like that. And then looking back, I, I I probably wouldn't change it, Sean. No, I mean you had a lovely house. You're where you were Redondo Beach, right? A Redondo Beach, Manhattan Beach, Manhattan last. Beach. And obviously, obviously, traveling around the United States as well. You know, obviously, seeing you in Denver. Justine, I'm glad Justine travelled a fair bit. You know, she went to see the All Blacks in Chicago, which she thinking that was the highlight of everything. <laughs> for us. You were also getting a fair bit of work out there, right? Well, what 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 happened was that is the first six months there was you know like was at home and then it started stretching on a little bit, and then I thought, well, I better do something about this, so I inquired and so I went down to the old fashioned way, went down to a couple of uh, construction sites, and oh no, mate, you, you you're going to need a license. You got to get a license. So I said, well, okay then, where do I get that? And I phoned up and they said, it's going to cost you this amount of money. You're going to have to um, attend night school every Wednesday for four Wednesdays and do a Saturday. I said, yeah, no problems, I can do that. And you're going to pretty much study pretty hard. And because, you know, you've got to study the law. And when they say law in the building, they mean someone's going to sue you or yeah. this, that. And you've got to know Welcome your P's and Q's. Yeah. Because really, Sean... You're walking around with a bullseye on you, and that's the worst thing. So it's funny the you know the reputation from the other side towards builders is always oh they're unreliable and they don't turn up and you know there's, there's there is that kind of Mister O'Reilly well, yeah. from Faulty Towers, the well, Irish builder. Well, you, 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 there, and there is you know there's no two ways about it. They're out there, there's, and there's lots of them. And and the thing is, is the ones in the United States is when it was in the United States. I said okay, and I agreed to all the exams and everything. I had to sit two exams in one day. 
like to sit the law one and I like to sit my trade one, which right. is a carpentry. Great, well done. So now I had a license and then I was sitting there, I was chuffed on myself, really chuffed. I thought, geez, how'd you wangle that? God knows, but anyway. <laughs> and then I started getting work. Great. And then it started getting big. And then I started earning money. Yeah. And then I was lying in bed thinking to myself, am I doing this right? Because I'm winning every job. Yeah. I'm winning every do- job soon. And you, when you win every job, you think, I've got to be too cheap, there's something wrong. Yeah. So then I thought about the overhead, the profit, this, that, yeah. the other. And I thought, well, hang about. I'm making some money here. And now I'm my own boss. So this was going really well. And then one day Justine came home and went, I've had enough of this shit job. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, hang about, love, just give it a minute. <laughs> And now you're back in Australia. And now I'm back in Australia, which is, you know, it's fine. But this is the devil you know. Yeah, this is the devil you know. Well, I was quite lucky because, you know, I landed, let's say, Thursday and Monday I was back at work. Yeah. And now I was just back into it. Are you, are you optimistic or pessimistic well, about the future? Well, I'm, I'm optimistic. If you get pessimistic, then you're just going to crawl into a hole and never think, you know. Yeah. I think what's going on in the world and the Middle East and the refugees and things like that, I, I really think that Western world and the European world, people should, you know, obviously they're going to help them, but they've got to go back. They have to go back. There's no... Because otherwise it's just going to get too easy for them. As some people said, you know, when World War Two come, you know, every man and woman and child stood up for their country. This lot haven't. Mm. They fled. Mm. But I don't, I don't, I don't really want to go down that avenue with that. That's, you know, governments have got a lot more say than what I'll ever say, and there's probably people who say a lot more than what I will. I think they should, we should help them, and I think they should go back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really yeah, think a lot of people think that. You know, it's, it's a left versus right discussion and um, a humanity thing as well. So you're not saying I'm we not shouldn't be inhumane. You're saying that they. I mean, one of the things is that in India, when they go overseas to study, go back and try and build India. I know the Irish diaspora are encouraged to try and come home and build our country back. So I guess when a country is just in absolute mayhem and shit, you know. Well, some people, we'll we'll take the Irish and the British, they're leaving the shores and especially the Irish, you know, they and they found something good and they kept to it and they stayed there, Sean. You can't blame people for that. No. You know? Yeah. You know, would I take my daughter back to live in Kilburn? No. Mm-hmm. It's not the Kilburn I know. Yeah. You know Did Kilburn get all uh, fancy pants? Or? It's all fancy pants Is now. it really? When you were looking at that map going, I'm going to go there, what would you say about Australia to anybody who was thinking about coming here? I think now it's, it's probably the time and it's the only time you're going to get to come because I think a lot of borders are going to close and it's going to get a lot more strict as you'll... And it's a war-torn country. Yeah. It's got the Italians and the Greeks, yeah. and, and you know, it's got the Lebanese and the Vietnamese and the yeah. Croatians, the Serbians here, and now we're going to get the others, the Syrians and everyone. Yeah. So they got to accept that that's... And it but doesn't is, it have a... a I mean, I, I always am more optimistic about the the role new countries like this can play in well, they probably simmering will. down some of that, which is crap that goes on for way back in time and oh. you come here you be an you be an Aussie you know and it's and it's like what does it mean to be an Aussie I mean you know there's a whole indigenous population here that have been pretty badly raped and pillaged oh, yeah. down through the years but well, that's and then the other question I have is like I ask this to a lot of my guests which is 
you know, what two or three things would you like? Would you advise Gracie on, on what you've learned in life? I, I really, truly wanted to travel the world. Right. To if I could turn back the clock, Sean, I would be here at eighteen. Right. Okay. I would have had my couple of years of doing the Spains and the islands and the Greeces and everything, but really to to travel and to meet people and make your own mind up about life. You know, that's another. You know, don't go there; it's horrible. You just that person might have had just a bad experience. There's good places and bad places, and there's the no-no places, isn't it? You won't go downtown Baghdad, do you? Really? (laughs) You know, James Cooper. That was a great chat. Uh, I like that piece of advice you know it's a piece of advice after my own heart I'm Mr. Travel Um, I'm meeting you on the first leg of a bit of a world tour picking up podcasts Jay Scooper thank you very much for coming on a pint with Shoney B and sharing your very eclectic life story and the first builder I've ever had on it (laughs) (laughs) take care buddy (laughs)